So you could say, is walking natural movement? Well, yeah, probably, right? We're pretty much designed along, right? But what if you're walking with your head down, looking at your phone, Phone. with your mouth open, breathing heavy, you know, is that? So it could say, well, if we want to focus on (laughs) return to nature type of idea or um, more of a making a little bit more naturally, like how about like really walk with, you know, posture up and look where you're going and look, look around and, you know, see what's ahead of you or what's aside, you know, just pay attention and not even for like security. I mean, of course, so, you know, like, of course there's that. Right. But pay even attention. just for like noticing things, just like not letting all of it pass you by. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This episode is with Mary Beth Gangemi, Environment, Natural Movement, and Breathing. Mary Beth Gangemi's experience as a social worker has had a profound effect on how she approaches her movement practice and working with clients. She shares her own movement journey from city to countryside. Mary Beth discusses the importance of environment, breathing, and play on our ability to move well and naturally. She unpacks her thoughts on the connections between social work and movement, as well as creating spaces accessible to all. Mary Beth Gangemi is a breath, strength, and natural movement coach, in addition to being a wife and mother. She has certifications in many different areas, including MoveNat, Kettlebells, Original Strength, and Buteco Breathing Method. Mary Beth owns and runs Kairos Strong, where she teaches students to develop quality movement to support all areas of their life. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. First of all, Mary Beth, thank you for inviting me to your home. On one hand, I feel guilty because everybody invites me to their house or or, or to their parkour gym, or I basically get to go to all the cool places. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. And I know you like, could we have three hours? And people are like, three hours. So thank you for taking the time. It's straight up my pleasure to meet you. I've like lurked on a bunch of Instagram posts and recommendations from Julie Angel and all these things. I'm just like, oh, okay, definitely want to talk to Mary Beth while I'm in North Carolina. Craig rambles. So uh, there are so many places to start, right? I was like, oh, we can talk about kettlebells. We can talk about strength training. We can talk about movement. I think maybe let's let's talk about the movement is integral to everything here. I'm, I'm waving my hands. So people can't see it. Movement's integral to everything here. There's, um, I'm going to guess it's not a kid's playset. There's a, an adult treehouse playset. There are I'm not going to say parkour obstacles because they could be fused to all kinds of things. There's spaces to like move on open concrete. There's spaces to move on indoor flooring. There's the biggest collection of kettlebells I have seen, including ones I've seen in gyms. I was impressed. And like yoga mats, like everywhere I look, there's, uh, oh, I see bow staff. I see things that I can't identify. Did you, was there a point in your, I'm going to say in your life, like in your family life, where the movement became the thing like, okay, this, this, where we live is great and all, but we need to move. We need more elbow room. Like, was there a point where you that then, and then when you moved, what was it like when you got to the new space and you started to be like, Ooh, we can, I can really spread my wings. So tell me about that feeling in the new space. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out to my home here in the country. Well, I lived in just outside of Boston growing up, so it was 
not really country like this. <laughs> and then I actually went to school in Atlanta. And in like the inner city? Yes. Oh, okay. I went to school in Atlanta, was living in Atlanta for college. And yeah, like I started to feel like all the traffic and just that, like, I can't even breathe and I want space, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we moved from living in Atlanta to Pittsburgh, but it was the other side of Pittsburgh. So it's about 20 minutes from here, but it's, it's rural. We don't have mail delivery, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have trash pickup, you know? And even that space, but it was a subdivision, even that space started to feel like well, I still am getting in the car and I'm driving to the local trail mm. so that I can mm -hmm. run or be outside or just take a walk or just go and be. So we actually found this location mm -hmm. and built here because we just so much wanted to be by the trail and by the river. Mm, something I suspect. I, I don't know that I suspected it when I heard it, but when you mentioned it, it was like, oh, like I, I got the tour, like Craig gets mm -hmm. the tour of everything. I got the tour and it was like, there's a trail here. And I'm just like, maybe we should just not record and go play at the river. I have a bathing suit. But when you mentioned that, the way you said it, I was like, oh, that's really important. And it, it kind of like caught in my mind as also, I don't know if people can hear, there's just no traffic. I love it. And it's funny because I had the same thought, like I'm meeting Craig. You know, it's our first time. I really want to just maybe like, maybe we can just go down to the river for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could go to the river afterwards. Yeah. I have a set of Tiva sandals and a bathing suit. I don't know what I want to go swimming, but, um, but yeah, I, I've, and I kind of suspect it. So I've seen you do movement practice and I kind of want to talk about breathing and I always get self-conscious. A lot of people I talk to know a lot about breathing. And I would say I know a lot about breathing too, but sometimes I sit in these horrible postures because it's, I'm like, I need to perform for the microphone. So if I go like, oh, I'm just going to lounge back here, then it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about when you were talking about, and I got no knocks against Boston. I love Boston. I haven't ever been to Atlanta, only to the airport. That doesn't count. But no knocks against those two cities. But there's a, I almost want to say there's like a subsonic onslaught, you know, like the trucks and the sounds and like the hum of the city. And then there's also a component, and I don't want to make it sound like I don't like people, but too many people feel like they're pulling from me. I don't mean like too many people I encounter. I just mean like if there are too many people around at the same time, even if they're being nice, I feel like they're pulling from me. And I, I got to believe that's me projecting, oh, I should stand up straighter or I should, you know, tuck my chin or like something. I'm guessing I'm doing something that makes it consume my energy. But as you know very well, when you get out here, it's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Notice how you feel like you can breathe. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about breathing and maybe maybe the experience that some of your clients have when they come here and you work with them on breathing and maybe basic movements. I, I don't know exactly what you would do with each client, but can you take me through some of the experience that the clients have, you know, when they, okay, let's start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, what I do with each person is going to be individualized. So if someone comes to me and identifies some breathing disruption or something that I think could be stemmed from a breathing disorder or disruption or inefficient breathing, then we'll dive right into that. But sometimes people come and their first thing is like, you know, I have an autoimmune disease, so I have to be careful about what I do for training. 
And I also have osteopenia and my doctor is saying <laughs> strength train. Right. So what do I do? You know, or I've showed up at the local 24-hour gym, whatever. That's not the name brand of any gym. Right, I just right. mean any place. <laughs> and they don't really know how to engage at the gym in a way that meets their needs. Hmm. So I strive to try to, you know, come alongside them and that journey of figuring that out for them. So for some people, again, we start right on breathing. Other people, we might be f focused on, you know, other types of movement, but it always comes in right. sooner or later, right? So I'll tell you a little story is when I, how I got into breathing or, go, I mean, I was breathing I, from the time I was born, right? I but love stories. Go, go, go. How I started to think about how I was breathing was I actually was on a move not retreat. I went with um, my family to Thailand and did one of these retreats that they were doing at the time. I forget what year it was, several years ago. My son was four, so he was little. And on the day that we talked about breathing, you know, we were lying on our back and the instructor was named Vic and he was talking about feeling your abdomen rise and fall. And, you know, I think I think we did something like the drill where you like put a book yeah, on your belly. I, I couldn't do it. I, like I was breathing because I was alive and I was right. Right. I knew I was breathing, but I was like, how, like, I can't stop my chest from doing yeah, all the breathing. And I actually couldn't even I couldn't even figure out how to access it to change it. Like, even though I then was aware. Hmm. So, and then the other thing I realized on that same court, even though going into that workshop, I could do climbing skills. I could run pretty well. I was running consistently. I could do the leg swing ups, you know, some of the climbing things I could do. And that requires above sitting, you know, like idle yeah. oxygen, right? So you think, right. I know how to breathe. I'm breathing. But yeah. I, so I'm doing these, what I thought, you know, more advanced movement skills, you know, the, the things that, you know, can you do this? Or, you know, and I was like, worked really hard. Like before I show up all the way in Thailand, I want to know that I can get my butt in that tree right. and I can do this technique, whatever. But the most simple thing of like, you know, breathing low and slow into your 360 degrees mm -hmm. all around the, the lower body, you know, I couldn't do it. And then when we were in the water and he was, cause that's part of that movement course was had some aquatic element, you know, I could swim. But when he had us go under and like sort of see how long, I forget the exact quest, but it was essentially go under. And I was always the first one up. Like I could not hold my breath and I would just kind of look, you know, and look around and like, wow, I, I couldn't hold my breath that long. I don't remember the times. It doesn't even matter. It was just an awakening for me to realize maybe mm. it's not just about what legs swing up, what climb, what vault, what pace you have but like there's something more fundamentally going on so thankfully I had awareness from that rather than what a lot of people get it from is like you know other breathing related disorders yeah, panic asthma or right. asthma or congestion or like I didn't really have a physical symptom that was my wake up but it was just starting to move and realize so so then from that point I started to focus on okay you know, how do I get better at this? How do, you know, what do I do? And, you know, kind of led. Just because I love, I love actionable takeaways for people listening. Was there, is there an exercise that you remember unlocking first? Like what was the, so I, I don't really recall. I mean, long ago, I remember in a martial arts class being asked to do diaphragmatic breathing and I'm like, what? I don't, you know, I know exactly what you're saying. And I know for me, there was a breathing exercise that we did, but I'm like, do you remember which one was the one that unlocked it for you the first time? 
I would say it was actually something I learned from original strength. And that was to lie down on your belly. They call it like the crocodile position. So you're just lying on the floor on your belly. But by instead of being on my back and thinking about the book or Mm -hmm. whatever, the weight, roll over, just let your natural weight, you know, just being on the floor, your body, your contact has all that, your skin has all that contact with the floor and breathing. And then I know that sounds really simple, but was that simple? But then I could start to feel the weight of the floor under my belly. And I started Mm -hmm. to, I mean, it was just that first step of starting to feel like, oh, that, that is a lot lower, you know? So it was like that introduction to original strength. And then in their particular type of movement system and their resets, I think that really unlocked a lot for me of the diaphragm access and slowing it down and feeling that, aha, like this feels better. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to remember because it's it's always like when you share that story of your experience, then people can like hold it in their head and you probably could just go on the floor and lay face down right now and do it if you don't feel comfortable. That's okay. So I always love when, you know, it's one thing for people to get what we call the experiential learning of like hearing and meeting Mary Beth, but it's also great if you can go away with things and like <laughs> slap your headphones off your head and try something. I, I like to find those when I can. So thank you for sharing that. Do you find that if you had to, if, oh, yeah, I was going to say if you had to guess what percentage, but probably the majority of your clients eventually, as you said, have breathing, some sort of breathing is a, you know, we start pushing up all the sliders to make things awesome. That one needs to be pushed up. Are there, are there challenges that you see yet for yourself for breathing? Like, do you still find yourself, like, has it become completely, totally embodied the lesson? Or do you occasionally find <laughs> you're making the face like you busted? I'm um, the master. No, <laughs> I have so much more to work on, to learn, to, to room for growth. But I feel at ease and comfortable in my breathing for the majority of the time, right? So... There might be ways that I exercise or move and get involved, you know, tons of kettlebell snatches or something like that, where your breathing starts to feel really heavy. Then in that moment, I wouldn't say it's totally (laughs) comfortable in my breathing. But I think for day to day and for exercise, like aside from the, you know, extreme sort of exercise things, but just my day to day and my exercise movement practice, I feel much more comfortable breathing. And I notice that it's like... I don't have to think about it, but when I check in with my thinking about it, it's like, it checks, yeah. it's like, yeah, your lips are together, your tongue's on the roof of your mouth, you feel at ease, mm-hmm. you know? Do you have any idea how, just roughly, because I'm thinking if somebody is out there going, oh crap, that's me, and they managed to unlock it, do you have an idea of how long it took you to go from like, this is never right. I'm always struggling with figuring out how to do it to when it became a little more common and you started to really feel like you had a handle on it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I feel like pretty quickly you can see the changes or the progress, but I wouldn't say it's like fully yeah. matured and established quickly. I would say like if you are able to breathe through your nose, breathe, breathe comfortably, start to get into some of those positions, like within that session or that week, I think you would find you notice it feels something feels better and that what you feel 
what you sense about it is different yes. for everyone. So someone might say, I didn't even realize I was getting the hiccups like every day or <laughs> like often, but I just was me. So I didn't even yeah. realize. And now I'm not getting them so much. Or it could just be congestion or headache or, you know, just um, there's so many different ways it manifests. But usually someone will say like, I didn't even realize I was doing that until I stopped doing it. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. Breathing is, yeah, I'm like, we don't need more Craig anecdotes, but it's definitely something that when I sleep, if I sleep on my back, depending on how much extra weight I have on at the time, it's like that matters. It affects sleeping, snoring, and that affects if you have partial sleep apnea, that's a whole nother, yeah. that's correlated with heart disease and heart attack or stroke. I think sleep it's correlated with, apnea with, hurts hearts. Yes. So it's, yeah. Bad mojo. Yeah. What about, uh, before Craig goes off on a million tangents, is there anything that you, now that you like see how this works, anything you're thinking like, ooh, I want to go and talk about Cool. Okay. Like, oh no, I'm not going there. All right. What? Um, there was a. I'm doing them. Then I'm gonna do more breathing stuff. Craig's brain, right? There's like way too many things in it. There was a. I'm gonna call it a drill or a test or an assessment. And I think I got it out of the show notes of another podcast that you were on. But they were basically talking about no prepping, no you know, no. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just just like you know, breathe in, breathe out. And then pinch your nose shut and how, and there's a, what do you call the... You're referring to the control pause. Thank you. <laughs> like, also like, known as the bolt score. I can't get the stupid words out of my head. Okay, okay. so the... The bolt score, yeah. body oxygen level test, which okay. is the same thing as a control pause. I tend to call it a control pause. Okay, so so, so and I did it. I didn't do it while I was driving. I okay. did it. I, and it was like, I couldn't decide. I'm like, well, I'm counting in my head and I'm thinking, I feel like I could breathe in. <laughs> so it was pretty close. It was pretty okay. close to the, I don't want to say the cutoff because I want you to explain it. So I don't want to do it <laughs> while I'm on the podcast mic, but walk me through what it is. And is it super, it's brilliant, I think. But Yeah, it is brilliant. And there's no cutoff. There's no cutoff. So, you know, what it is, is in some breathing circles or tests and some evaluations, there might be some hyperventilation that happens and you'll get a different response from that. That's its own thing, right? What this is, is this control pause is there's no hyperventilation. There's no breath preparation. There's no like, okay, I know I'm about to hold my breath. So let me get really, let me take two or three really good breaths. It's not necessary. So what we're looking to do is just breathe in through the nose, breathe out through the nose, just normal, right? Pinch the nose and have a clock (laughs) so that you can just kind of look at the second hands or hit, you know, start on a timer. And you're waiting for your first definite desire to breathe. But that can be confusing to people. Because sometimes the second you start to hold your you know, breath, you think to yourself, well, I could breathe, like, right. So let that go, okay? It's okay. Let that go. Don't stop right there at like, you know, two seconds, three seconds, whatever. As long, but feel for, do you feel like this involuntary little, like a little feeling in your throat or a little little reflex in your diaphragm, like a little movement, a little, it's not, it's not like a contraction that makes it sound so big, but just like maybe a desire to swallow, right? So you're looking to get to know yourself and kind of, so you breathe in, you breathe out, you pinch, and you're waiting for that. And then check the time. And that's going to tell you a lot 
about how your body is tolerating the buildup of CO2, how it's tolerating, you know, you're not taking in new fresh, fresh oxygen, right? right? And so you can use that as a baseline. You can use that as a measure to how you're progressing if you're working on your breathing and you're trying to, you know, work on these and get this longer control pause. Now, that being said, now that you know you're, you're sort of working to getting a longer control pause, it's really important that you don't turn it into this, like, a competition, right? Or, <laughs> Metric, like, right? I know that you could go longer. That's the whole point. It's a comfortable breath all right. time until you feel that first definite desire to breathe that I described. So it should be comfortable, so I know you can go longer, but what we're looking to do is just kind of see where that is and slowly that gets longer. You know, it might increase by a second, uh, two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, whatever it is each week. So, and that depends on how, how much you practice the exercises and how your body responds to them, right? right? So, and there's no reason to necessarily make it happen really fast. Like this can be gentle process. Right. Yeah. When I... When I read that, and thank you for unpacking it, like clearly you've unpacked that before. I'm like, I bet. <laughs> the What I love about that is it's kind of like resting heart rate or, you know, a blood marker. It's like you can't cram for the test in the last minute. It's like, right. What's your resting heart rate right now? Wait, let me, no, no, just like look at it. And I, I love that that's the first time that I've ever seen any sort of really simple breathing I'm going to call it an assessment, mm -hmm. um, you know, because there's like VO2 max. Oh, that's easy. Just put on this headset and plug your nose and then get on the treadmill. And then like, it's really complicated to measure like blood chemistry and oxygenation in real time under load. But that's a beautiful, simple, just like do this easy and you can just do it whenever you want to do it. Just check your progress. Mm -hmm. What about, on one hand, I'm, I want to ask a lot about kettlebells, but I'm not sure I want to go into that. That might be too easy, but or too simple or too. So, I don't think I saw any other free weights. There's a barbell in there. I didn't I see that. I have a barbell. I didn't notice the barbell. But I'm really into kettlebells. <laughs> so what is it about... I'm like, here comes a skink. I'm wondering, what is it about kettlebells that... Oh, I've even seen those before. We have those in New York State. Sorry. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by small salamanders. <laughs> I often joke it's brought to you by coffee and or dogs, but in this case, salamanders. What is it? Is there something particular about kettlebells or is it just the variety of movements that you can accomplish with them? And I don't think I've ever actually swung one with the intention of doing exercises. I've helped friends who have kettlebells move. That's my limit of kettlebell. So you've done some carries. Yes. <laughs> well, I've done, I've done a ton of farmer carries I, for a while and I didn't stop because I don't like CSAs, but I supported a CSA and it was like a mile and a half to the pickup and I would do literal farmer carries. I'd walk to the CSA and then walk back with like, whoa, summer veggie load. You know, I back. bet you got really strong. Yeah. I get pretty, well, I have pretty strong hands to start with, but at the end, it's like, I can't put it down. <laughs> like you mm -hmm. can't open your hands at the end. Anyway, but what is there something particular about kettlebells that drew you to them or that keeps you interested in them or... I mean, you know, I, first of all, it's this idea, like, I don't want to depend on a machine at a gym. And I know it is a, it is a tool, a kettlebell, you know, right. but it's not the same as like a treadmill or one of those other type of machines that you have to go to the gym to use. So it is pretty versatile that you can have them and set them up, you know, in your house, you right. know, for the most part, if you have just a little bit of space. Doubles is a great doorstop, yeah. right? But also, you know, that... But the handle on them. I like enjoy the sense, you know, I feel like they're comfortable when mm. I interact with them. Like I like holding them. I like carrying them. I like working with them. Mm. You know, yeah. it's like a, a tactical. Tactile. Yeah. Sensation too. And they're, 
it kind of it does work in line with that idea of your body is doing the work. You're you know do, the way that the weight is and the shifting of of moving the bell is right. different than say even a dumbbell. You know. Yeah, I like. I, I'm not in. I mean, not that I'm just gonna say I'm not into kettlebells, but the free weights that I have that I handle the open chain versus closed chain aspect of them. Maybe we should unpack that for people, but the open chain, like kettlebells, I'm like, oh, this is all open chain. So if you don't know what open versus closed chain is, um, actually you probably have a, I, I can kind of, you're going to make me do it. All right. <laughs> let's see if I do it right. Um, I think my favorite description of closed chain is if you're doing work, but you're connected to something that's not moving. So for example, we do a push up like a push-up on the norm, a normal push-up on the floor, you're pushing in closed chain. And then if you want to make your life suck, get a set of rings, hang them from the ceiling, and do a push-up on the rings. This shouldn't be any harder. I'm pushing the same amount of Craig off the floor. But you've removed the connection of your hands to the floor. If you haven't ever tried a push-up on rings, you've got to try it. It's such an eye-opener. And all, all it brings in all the rest of the muscles. So your hands wouldn't only be able to laterally or push. Or the one that I realized was, I didn't realize I had learned when doing a push-up to pull, to create the arch of the body. Like my back's flat, but you're making an arch. You do that by pulling on your toes and pulling on your hands. And guess what? You do that with open chain. I mean, Mary, that's not mm-hmm. a like, yep. <laughs> you do those on an open chain, then it's almost like, whoa, this is way harder. So I love the idea that kettlebells reinforce this. Yeah, do simple open chain movements. Even uh, brachiation, like arm swinging. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're touching the ground, well, this is technically closed chain. If you're if you're hanging by one hand, now this is all open chain and trying to control the torque. Just the rotation of your body activates so many more things that you wouldn't do if you did like a pull down on a lap machine or something. Yeah, well said. I was gonna say I don't know. I don't have. There's no I question. Think you nailed it. I could I could lilt up on the end to see if you have anything <laughs> else to add, but I don't have a question there. What about so? What's a piece of movement? Like something that you that you do or you did that people you probably think people don't know about, like hmm. like people might people probably know now, but like did people know that Craig did martial arts like that kind of thing? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not looking for skeletons, Jeez. just like right. But I don't. Let me just think for a minute before I just say like I think. Oh, you know, <laughs> I have one thing. Is that there was this studio in town that had his dance class and I'm just like I'm showing up and I was dancing and I like had so much fun it's not really the thing that I think is like the meat or the core of my practice or I don't think of it that way but it was like I really like stepping outside of the role of like teacher or out of the things that I've been doing, the movement styles I've been into, and just showing up and turning up to like somebody else's class. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of fun just, you know, it was just a few weeks of showing up and having some fun moving and dancing. Other than that. Do you think that's carried, like, I wonder if that's in the DNA of how you move now. Like, do you think that's, like, I'm wondering, and you're probably gonna be like, oh, wow. But I'm wondering if you... You probably don't like you don't incorporate dance if you're working with kettlebells, but I'm wondering if somehow you're not trying to recreate that experience for the person doing the kettlebell routine or other activities or Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty silly. I mean, after doing I think it takes both. So after doing, say, a kettlebell move that maybe, like I said, snatches or squats or just something and it takes a lot of tightness yeah. and, and tension, right? And, right? and power. 
And then we put the bell down and we do like fast and loose, which is like the shaking and the releasing. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of say like, you know, a dog trying to dry off, you know, and shake everything out and we'll do a little dance there. I mean, it's super, you don't have to if you don't want to. It's not like, you know, anybody's force, but it's, you know, an invitation to like really just let it out because it takes, you need to ask your body for both tension right. and tightness and relaxation and letting go. Mm. And so sometimes I think there's this, I have come to work out. I want to get tight. I want to get tone, but you also want both actually. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Balance. Um, is there a project that you've got rattling around in your head that there's a piece missing from, and I can give you an example if you're like, what are you talking about? But yeah. You want an example? Um, or no? <laughs> well, I don't know if this is what you're going for. So I'm working on a project. Um, I sort of just had inspiration to put together some thoughts on sleep as it relates to breathing so that, because a lot of times I'll talk to people about, so how are you sleeping? You know, if we're talking about how you're training and how you're moving. Recovery. And, and you know, of course, you know, eating, not that I'm a dietitian or anything, but just, you know, like, how are you eating? Like, are you, are you, did you eat breakfast before coming? What are you doing? You know, just general conversations around. And I think a lot of people know what we eat is our nutrition. It's pretty important. But a lot of times, you know, we don't think, well, how I sleep is going to affect how I recover and how I feel and how I perform and, you know, my overall health. So I'll check in with people on that. And so I put together this project. I sort of just on a whim, I just made a PowerPoint slide of, you know, slides where I talk and I go through what I've learned, share, you know, what I've learned about breathing drills and, you know, just what good sleep looks like, what restorative sleep sounds like, right? <laughs> and what to look for. Because sometimes you might have a, a health concern that you're not even thinking is related to sleep, right? And it, it may not be. I'm not saying everything's sleep, but it also could be. So the solution might be improving the quality of your sleep and then you'll, yeah, you break, know, right? break the spiral. Exactly. Like the, so things. I put together this whole project and I love it. But now... I'm not even sure what to do with it or like how to package it and get it out to people. So like I, it's more of that's the missing piece for mm. me right now, like getting it on say my website or so it's like this technology piece that I'm still <laughs> working on because that is, I look at this and I'm like, we are high tech right now with <laughs> microphones, you know, I'm an outdoorsy sort of meet with people, work face to face. So now I'm sort of learning this whole like world of technology. And is there a way that, you know, you can put it on the website, but not lose like the format and all right. that. So anyway, that's my missing piece right now. Is that's, I think that's super interesting. It's, it's always interesting to hear what sometimes people have ideas and you clearly have a thing that you're, you're like, you're ready to make. That's cool. Thank you for sharing. So you're talking about tech. There, there isn't that much tech on the table. At least I don't think there's that much tech on the table, but this is a, a very different experience. So when I give, so I probably should do a behind the scenes video at some point if somebody wants to help me with that, because I don't do a video. We should do a behind the scenes video to show what the guests, like there's a whole guest experience. You get like the Craig show. Craig shows up with a bag and stuff. And then I'm quietly trying to figure out where are we going to interview? And then I put this microphone in front of your face. You're like, get this thing out of here. And then I give you a set of headphones. I'm wondering when you first, like, you you know, like Craig's going to come over and we're going to record. So we're probably going to be using microphones. Like it's, you know what's going to happen. But when I get here and I set it all up and then there's like this moment of like, oh, you want me to like sit in this chair in front of this, you know, like you move it a little bit, but you're basically like sit here. 
what what was your what's what's your feeling now like uh, 30 minutes into like being in this space what are your thoughts on how you thought it was going to be versus how it actually is i mean i'm comfortable now you know it's fine it's just it is different than anything i've ever done or you know i've not had a big microphone in my face (laughs) (laughs) did you have to did you did you go to breathing or like did you like all right i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna like check in to see if i'm doing okay in the space or i not mindfully i did not think like okay use your breath it wasn't that like much it was just like i'm just along for the ride here i'm just like Let's see what we want to talk about. Sometimes I've thought there are different there are different ways to mic people up, and you can do these little mics that like clip on, and then you can even like have wireless things, and then we could literally just walk around and wave our arms. And I find that um, my experience has been it's particularly challenging for movement people who are used to moving. There's kind of like a limit on how long these things can be. Where people are like, I need to stand up. <laughs> like that was my, my first thought. I was movement. like, are we gonna be? sitting still for three yeah, hours I, you'll notice that I, t- I tend to like move around a lot i like moving and i'm slouching and especially when i'm not talking if i'm not talking i'm not like right here at the mic i'm like back here and we can totally take a stand-up break halfway through <laughs> so that's easy and I've, I've often wondered about if movement people that i talk to see long ago i interviewed a guy named dylan johansson and he he said this wonderful thing that he i don't remember where he said he got it from and but he said it used to, maybe it's his own original idea. Sorry, Dylan. It used to be that I went out and couldn't move until I had thought about it. So I would think in order to move. And he said, now I just go out and I move in order to think. And I found that that's a very common experience. I was, I was like nodding at the time you said it and a lot of people nod along. And, and now I'm wondering, would the podcast be different if I figured out how to let the movement people move while we did them? And it would be one difference. I'd be going... <laughs> a lot trying to keep up but I, I do often think about I have to stuff you into this artificial environment in order to capture the audio quality so I'm just curious if you had any feedback is why I asked that it's a little meta a little Craig meta I mean I just relate to that I relate to I move and then think or, mm, <laughs> or yeah. I move to think and that just resonates like yeah I, I get that and I can just it doesn't even have to be, say, like a run or like an out of breath type yeah. heavy training. Exercise with it's, quotes. And it's not even like, oh, I just feel like I I need to exercise so I'm constantly moving. It's not. It's just I tend to move. Mm-hmm. So it's letting go of stopping myself from yeah. moving. Yeah. What about crawling? I, I want to say I love quadrupedy movement QM, but I, like I love to hate it because it's, it's not easy, right? But it seems to me that a lot of people who get into movement, they, they kind of go there. Like it's at some point people get back down on the floor and, and, they're, and they're just like, oh, right, this is this. Yeah, I don't know if it's the contralateral, because you can do contralateral or bilateral, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it's that contralateral. So do you think, um, can you remember when that came back into your movement? And like, do you go there for a particular, like I have a particular mood or a... Or a I don't want to say dysfunction, a mood or an issue I'm going to work through. I'm going to go and QM is how I'm going to address it. Like, how do you use that as a tool for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I love crawling. I think crawling feels great. And I think it's incredibly powerful to make, to build strength, to build mobility, stability. So I utilize it a lot. When did I start? Jeez, early on. I don't know. (laughs) Early on, early on. But I think when I first started, 
crawling. I tried. I saw it as like the judgment piece of like, you should be able to do this longer. You should be able to do this better. You see these parkour videos and stuff and the, they looked like beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and you want to be able to. QM on a rail. You're like, yeah, I wanted that. And I didn't have the, I didn't fall in love with crawling from that. That was like, who wants to do things that they're judging themselves while they do it, right? So so it sort of didn't stick. But then what I went to was rolling around on the floor. So your whole body's on the floor. And you're doing various ways of flowing up and down from laying on your belly to rolling on your back, from rolling on your back to back to your belly or standing up or squatting. And this more of up and down of flowing, tons of moving around, floor play, floor rolling around. That you've just created that sensation of like, I like this and I want to do more of it. And then from that, I started to approach crawling very differently. And it was like crawling, you know, because now you can see how that just naturally stems in there, right? So then it was like maybe two or three steps forward, three or four, five steps backwards, sideways. And then you're like playing with the crawls. But it was that word playing. It was playing with them to see what felt good. Right. What I could do, how, right. and it was not like, like, so when a baby moves, they're not, they're not thinking. <laughs> I suck at this. <laughs> I suck at this. And they're, they're thinking like, I want to get across from this point to that point. And maybe they're motivated by something they see because they're curious. Right. Right. And so I try, I mean, I didn't think of it then, but looking back on it, that's how I, I started see, to tap into. It was more of like curiosity and for movement's sake. And so you know, starting to then, so that was the, a different approach. So then I started to integrate different crawls, right? Mm. Diagonal crawling, backward crawling, you know, <laughs> you know, all four variations, way up high, like, yeah. that, you know, low knees up or, you know, lizard crawl or whatever. And, and even now, you know, it's like, you can slowly start to play with, well, play, uh, crawling outside. One time we have a challenge of crawling all the way around the house, you know, so from the front porch down the hill, around the side here, and up the hill, right. you know, and you get different textures on the ground along the way. So sometimes you're going through grass, sometimes you're on rocks, sometimes, you know, and that's another whole fun experience. Hmm. Yeah. So I think everybody who comes to my classes loves when we crawl. I was just going to say, <laughs> do you have trouble getting them to do it at first, or do most people are they in for, in for a penny and for a pound? You know? um, first of all, I always say, you know, do what you can, right? So... If it's uncomfortable because it's just a challenge, that's one thing. But if it's like, actually, it hurts, that's another whole thing. So right. I want to be clear that, like, I always find what works with where you are. But, yeah, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of chuckle. But, you know, they come and they right. keep coming You're here back. And, you and I always think crawling fixes everything. I, I, I don't know if it fixes everything, but I know what you mean. I say I agree with you. Crawling fixes an awful lot of problems. I just like to say it fixes yeah, everything. It, it fixes my attitude most of the time. It, yeah, it fixes but all But, you know, again, without the judgment and without your crawling to the point that your mouth's hanging open and you're miserable. <laughs> how, about, how about crawling but doing it quietly and smoothly and sort of tight? feeling like more connected to nature as you crawl, like thinking of an animal or think, you know, mm-hmm. or thinking of a child, if that works better for you and like, how would they crawl? And if they didn't feel like crawling anymore, would they keep going or would they go ahead and like take a break? Yeah. 
Anything else jumped to mind that you want to talk about? You do have a significant You're so funny. Like, well, some of them were doodles from earlier. I wanted to just talk about really to just put what it means for natural movement. Like what is natural movement? Not that I'm like the person that gets to define that for everyone. But, but if you're asking me, I would say, you know, the way we're wired or built to move. So, but it's less about the actual movement. Like what I'm saying is this. So you could say, is walking natural movement? Well, yeah, probably, right? We're pretty much designed along, right? But what if you're walking with your head down, looking at your phone, phone, with your mouth open, breathing heavy? Is that, so it could say, well, if we want to focus on return to nature type of idea or um, more of a nat Making natural, it a little bit more yeah, naturally, natural existence. like how about like really look, walk with posture up and look where you're going and look, look around and, you know, see what's ahead of you or what's aside, you know, just pay attention and not even for like security. I mean, of course, so, <laughs> you know, like, of course there's that. Right. But pay even attention. just for like noticing things, just like not letting all of it pass you by, like Notice the clouds, notice the moon, notice, you know, the, the trees or the leaves or the flowers or whatever it is, you know, notice and just take it in and just let, so you just don't miss all of it, hmm. you know? So to me now, so again, is natural movement, yeah, it's walking, but you can apply that to anything, but you can also make it even more natural, if you will. Yeah. You can go deeper with that movement, be more mindful. It. Yeah. Do you practice any specific, like, regular mindfulness or meditation? Like, do you have, like, everybody has their own personal, this is what I do for my own recovery and stuff. Do you have particular practices that you would um, want, want to describe? Well, I pray. So that's meditation for me, prayer. And typically that's, you know, gratitudes, thinking of things that I'm thankful for and breathing with them and expressing thanks for them. And then there's the breathing practice, which isn't exactly the same as meditation, but I don't really know how we're going to define what definition of meditation are we going to go with. So it's kind of like, right? Like, is it or isn't it? (laughs) So I find sometimes people will say to me, like, I, they think that they have to meditate to work on breathing. Right. And a lot of people don't want to. That's a tough nut to crack, right? Right. A lot of people don't want, I know some people love meditation. They can't understand this, but I do find a lot of people who will say like, I can't meditate. And I think they think, I think what I'm hearing from them is this, they think they're supposed to stop thinking. And since that doesn't seem to be working, then they think they can't meditate, you know? So I would agree agree with you, by the way, that that is what I would agree. yeah. Yeah. So what I say to people is you can work on your breathing and you don't have to meditate. Like let that go. If that, you know, even though I know like there's people who could help you and better understand meditation and understand you don't have to do it that way. But you can also work on breathing and you and and when I work on breathing, it isn't like in some meditation that you have where you don't try to change the breathing. You just breathe and you just sit with it and notice it. So I take my breathing meditation practice to I do start to play with it. I start to adjust the breathing. So typically that would mean slowing it down. It would mean noticing if I hear it. Like, can I hear myself breathe, yeah. right? And playing with 
being like a ninja with my breathing. And then even to the point of, even though we know you, we talked about like the movement of breathing and how you have this natural expansion and contraction, right? Of mm-hmm. 360 degrees around your body, right? But you can also play with like ninja breathing and see if you can like not, no one could even see that you're breathing. Like you imagine like you're a mannequin, right? And you're breathing and no one can even visibly see the movement. And you can just breathe in and out through your nose really quietly. They can't hear you. They can't see you. And you know why? It's just really, it's really useful. Yeah, it's a, a mental practice. <laughs> it's a mental practice. It. it also calms your breathing and quiets your breathing, which actually can help you have better oxygenation. Yes. So, you know. And the, is it the parasympathetic nervous system can be deactivated by breathing do i have that right right so let me think (laughs) wow i got it right (laughs) so parasympathetic i think the paramedics are coming right and that's good because if you're in an emergency yeah you want them so just go with me on how you can i get it okay yes no that's brilliant rest and digest breathing okay Mm -hmm. sympathetic now so you know it's not just good bad Right. right? It's right. both and it's a balance. So sometimes the sympathetic system here gets a little <laughs> beat up. But you know, there's a time and a place and it's a balance of the two, right? So, but yeah, if you want to focus on better rest, better sleep, better digestion, recovery, heart rate variability, we need a balance of the two. So how you breathe absolutely can play a part in that, in regulating that. So, you know, slowing down your breathing because when we hyperventilate, that that is emergency or <laughs> right that that is how we breathe during stress. And what what right. I didn't realize, because I thought, well, there's a life stressor, something happens, and it's gonna you know elevates your pulse, right? You breathe faster, but it goes the other way too. That like if you start to breathe fast, you're also elevating your stress. Right. Right. Yes, that either one can drive the other. Either one, they, it goes both ways, right? It's so bi-directional relationship there. So, if you're feeling like you're starting to get really out of breath with your training, you are creating that more stressed response, right? And listen, I'm not saying there's never a time and a place to huff and puff, and I'm not saying there's never, you know, right, I, I but understand. We need to understand the relationship. Right. But understand the relationship and understand when you're doing it and why. So if you're going out for a run three times a week and every single time you're huffing and puffing, you know, and really breathing heavy, and you're also someone who maybe feels like you do have some stress. You do notice that there's some, you know, stress symptoms in your life, right? Then maybe you could just think of slowing down that run just a bit to the point that you can breathe comfortably through your nose, even if that means walking, even if that means walking. And I also think you'll enjoy your run and then you're more likely to be consistent or your walk or whatever it is, your hike or whatever it is, right? So I think it's a matter of slowing down, breathing through your nose, 
Or maybe it's not slowing down because as I say that there are, you know, there are, you can do a lot of training through your nose if you train the system. Right. So you can go, you know, fast, but I'm just saying in general, if that's, you know, if you're seeing a stress response, which could be insomnia, waking up in the night, could be, you know, restless leg, could be anxiety attacks or panic attacks or countless (laughs) things, right? Or just feeling Hmm. irritable, right? Then also do look at how you're training and also how you're breathing and how you're breathing while you're training. And are you enjoying your movement practice? Does it feel like I'm glad I did it and I've I've enjoyed it? Or is it I suffer through it because I want to lose weight or I want to reach a goal or whatever? Mm. And I'm... We all have days like where we might love our job, but we don't, you know, you don't feel like getting out of bed or whatever. Like, again, like, yeah, but is that the most of the time, half the time, just now and then? Like, what what is that? And just know that there's always, there's so many movement practices out there. Like, if you're not, if it's not still working for you, whatever it is, right, maybe it's time to try something totally new. Like, you could be a rock climber who now is transitioning into... Krav Maga or I don't know, right? Like rock climbing or, and, you know, just that concept. And, you know, Julie Angel's great about this, about showing the things that people can take up and start doing mm. after, you know, or in midlife or after midlife, whatever, you know, and just showing like you can start any movement practice at any time. I, I don't know. I still think there's this idea that like yes. if I didn't do like say soccer when I was in school cool. can't do or it like now. can't right. do it now, like I'm, you know, are you 45 and kind of want to go learn how to play basketball? I don't know. Like I know that you can do it. You know, I know that you can reach out and find community people. Yep. And yep. I just think if, if you're in that place that you're not enjoying your movement practice, you don't have to settle for that. Like there's so much that you can just go out, find something new, try something. If you don't like it, try something else, keep going. And, you know, I think we all know that, but I still see a lot that there's times like you just need to hear it again and realize Mm. like that means me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Terrific. What do you think? um, Let's see. So many questions. So many questions. And if you have questions, you're allowed to, I'm not that I'm going to turn to the Craig show, but like, if you have like, what made you ask that question or something, I'm always open to discuss. I'm so I'm in my head, I'm imagining people who listen to this and go, yeah, that's great. But you know, like talking to the two of us, yeah, that's great. But Craig seems to have the free time to travel and yeah, that's great. But you know, you have a house for clients in the woods. What, What do you, and I don't know if you encounter people in this situation, but what do you say to someone who you, when you look at them, you're like, okay, you clearly need to make a change and they know they need to change something. But the thing that needs to change is really like their environment. Like you've moved out of the city, but you were conscious of that. And, but that's a significant change. And how do you, I don't know, how do you open heartedly try to help people when you know, yeah, what you got to do is knock the whole house of cards down because the problem is at the bottom. The problem is the relationship you're in or, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot of like, okay, fix this problem. But I'm just like, that would be a really good thing if you have any advice on that front. Yeah. Well, you know, I trained as a social worker. And the reason I say that is because um, I really have the utmost respect for each individual to know what is best for them. And so I don't actually ever approach it 
really thinking that I know like what they need to do. I really don't like, and I, I will talk to people openly and share what I'm seeing if I think, but I would, you know, usually ask questions and really trust that they will move on whatever they need to move on when they're ready to yeah, move on it. Can. That's a great point. What, what questions? Give me some examples of questions because people listening could, you, well, here you go. Here's Mary, ask, yeah. <laughs> Mary Beth asking you the questions or you can ask them of yourself. Yeah. So what kind of questions? I guess it would depend on the situation we're in, but just general, like if they say something, questioning it, like how come? What, why is it like that? Like, and I'll, I'll literally say, like, I'm not actually challenging you and telling you it's not. This isn't a question as a disguise for a statement. Right. But can you tell me more about that? Hmm. Why? Da, 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 you know, depending unpack, on what they're, yeah, right. unpack it a little bit. And really just coming from that place, though, is, is key of trusting that they will, they are their own best expert and that they will know what to do and when to do it. Now, I will give feedback, you know, like I was saying, if I notice, like, like they'll usually share things with me, like say something, it's like with drinking wine, that's something like a lot of people will say, like, so I've been coming to the classes and I'm doing this and I'm walking and I, you know, all this, but I just, I'm still going to drink that wine, you know? And I mean, I definitely didn't start off the conversation by telling them to stop drinking the wine. So, so, right. Where did that come from? Right. So that would be like, you know, a question. And so then usually like, you know, I would literally just follow up that. Where'd that come from? Or, you know, do you want to stop drinking the wine? You know, like whatever the, you know, whatever sort of naturally Yeah, whatever the thing is. Right. Yeah. And so that, and that is the thing, like, I don't know necessarily what exact diet is right for someone what exact training plan, what exact, I mean, I know that sounds crazy because it's like, I'm a coach, I think it sounds perfectly rational, right? <laughs> like it's totally depends. Like they have their own history, biology, interests, you know, and I just come alongside and like ask those questions and help as best, as best as I can. I'll share information, you know, but, um, really operating from that place of, we'll give it a try, see how it's working, hmm. adjust as you go, adjust, you know, just the sales and see where it takes you. And it usually works pretty well that people like, like respond to the questions and, and like them. Right. I mean, because again, it's truly coming from like, and sometimes it's very startling. They're like, Oh, that's actually a nice thing. Thank you. They don't yeah. get that enough. Right? Yeah. And they're like, I hadn't thought of that just to question the beliefs that we have. And there's a lot of beliefs around movement, you know, that change is hard. That's a common belief. Change is hard or training is hard. And we just still, you know, I'm generalizing, but so many people in the movement fitness sort of world, you know, we do sometimes sell it as like, you've got to keep working really hard. Push push, through. Push through, never miss a Monday and all that. And the thing is, is that like, I'll tell people like, you're in this for life, right? Like, that's the (laughs) idea. So what's sustainable? Like... You know, and and that you can waive the load, so to speak. In other words, you can hold back a little and you can come up, come to class, be consistent, have a great time, but it's okay to take the really light bell or just do body weight squats. Like you don't always have to do the double kettlebell, whatever, you know, and it's really important actually. So, you know, the other end of the spectrum is the people who want to like 
just be on a slope, you know, like just going up the hill. And every time they just push harder, they do more, mm. they do, they go up in kettlebell size, they go up in reps. And it's like, no, 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 no. We need to like wave this load. So yeah, you get, you get kind of both ends of that spectrum and it's really finding the balance, mm. not being afraid to push, not being afraid to work hard, but then also not thinking you have to always push and work hard. You mentioned that you've trained in social work. Did you did you work? I'm guessing you worked in social work after you did that. Cause, yeah. Because what I want to ask is, what was it like to have to? And you're clearly passionate about that. So, what was it like to transition from that to whatever you did next? And I'm assuming yeah. you went from there to we'll call it freestyle coaching. Like, yeah. um, what was that like? What what prompted that? Well, actually, I worked with children with special needs and their families. And so I actually feel like it was a natural progression because when I was doing that work, I was able to see human development, both between maybe the child that has, say, developmental differences Mm -hmm. and then maybe a sibling who may be, you know, developing neurologically typical and you could work on the dynamic there in a relationship of how they can still just be siblings that play and fight and bicker and play again and all that. And, you know, also the parents. So, so what I did was I did home visit. So I would go in and sort of see this child in their home environment and how the parents maybe have this idea of what they want from the relationship. Right. And so maybe they're thinking, they're taking their child to different therapy appointments. You know, this is what it would typically be like. Okay, we have speech, then we have a lunch break, then we have OT, you know, then we have, we go right from there to this sort of other OT that does sensory integration. Then we come home, I would go with them. I would like get in the car, drive along. So I would get to see, well, what was it like to transition between mm-hmm. the appointments? And what was it really like for you and for the child and for the, you know, for the whole family? And how can we help? Like, because therapists often weren't working on the goal of like helping the child get buckled up or helping the child in like the day to day of transitioning from the garage to coming into the house without it being, you know, sometimes mm. a struggle. So I created games, talked to the parents, really just listened what would help, what would make their day go more smoothly, mm. right? What do they need? So we, would put together ideas on that and try to help problem solve that and really make it fun, make it interactive. So there would be a motivation for the child to do the thing. And then also what I started to see though, is from looking at that is, well, if all these things they're working on in therapy make such a difference, like balance training and the sensory experiences that we're having and, you know, there, I mean, OT, right. Wonderful so many gems to learn from just watching and observing an occupational therapist work. And I started to realize with my own kids eventually that we could integrate this for everyone. Right. And then started training more and more physically training, you know, just like raising kids, you know, you need like the outlet. So I'd go out for my run or whatever, you know, that was kind of all happening. And then it was like, we could really work on some of those skills those sensory integration, the importance of crawling, the importance of rolling around on the floor, the importance of balancing. And we could make it fun, of course, as fun as we can anyway, right? And then next thing you know, you're like 
doing physical training. Like that looks kind of like Somebody maybe. says, can I come too, right? Yeah, now? yeah, can you do? So <clears throat> we would, you know, set up rocks in the yard and jump from one rock to the next or pick it up and carry a rock or go on a bear hunt, you know, mm. where you're like reenacting. And then, of course, they get older, then stories get more elaborate, and now you're having laser tag battles or, <laughs> right. you know, they, they grow and change with you and you don't try to keep the same movement practice that you have you know, when they're four that you have when they're 14 or whatever. Mm. So, and then, you know, moving with adults who really want to play again, but might not know it. But then (laughs) once they get started, guess what? it's like the the initiation of starting. Like you don't usually say like, do you want to play? It's like, no, do you want to work out? Do you want to train? Or even, you know. All right, we're going to do this game. Yeah. Right. But then as you get going, like really having a lot of fun and a lot of laughter and just that movement. And it's like letting games evolve and big capture the flag battles. And <laughs> <laughs> I've been seriously injured in capture the flag. <laughs> but that's another story. Well, th- thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it shows like sometimes I think it's easy to see the end result, you know, to see a, a well-produced video, or to see like an Instagram account, you know, and then go like, well, how on earth did she ever figure out like, how did like, how did that shot get in that video? Um, and there's a long, long journey to get to, you know, when somebody says, what should we put in the video? You're like, oh, I think I'd want to start with this movement. And it's way more than just, oh, yeah, I thought about it that day or I planned the day before with an outline. It's just like the whole, it's, it's that distillation of the whole journey. And it's important, I think, for people to see like where you're coming from and and what are all the ingredients that went in and like would it have happened if you hadn't had children would it have happened if you hadn't homeschooled like all everything comes together so that's all in one workout that you teach or one uh, instagram you know a video that you share or something Um, so i think that's just part of my personal curiosity is to just like see like well what's behind you know, like, here's a coach, you know, or here's somebody doing spectacular plyos. And I'm like, well, what's what's the story behind that? And then they, you know, go and ask. So yeah. anything else spring to mind? No, I was just thinking as you said that, you know, like walking through mud, you know. <laughs> walking through mud. Yeah. Look, so yeah, unpack that, that. <laughs> sensory experience, right? So... Like, you know, I live down by the river, so there's usually pretty easy to go down there and find some mud. Mm -hmm. And it's something. So a lot of times people talk about, you know, barefoot training. And most of the work we do is typically barefoot, unless there's some of the just, you know, it's better for them not to bathe. And I respect that. But, you know, there's so much that you can get for bounce and movement and yes, quality there are as many foot. nerves in your feet as there are in your hands right sorry right so <laughs> you know as you can see there's different surfaces so we have the grass we have the cement we have the little stones the bigger stones and then you know like mulch and other things and then as you go on the trail you have the the sensory experience of <laughs> walking on the trail and i'll tell you my enemy is the holly leaves when they fall and you're like really you know like that could be like a a little parkour game right like (laughs) 
tiptoeing. You know, it's not the floor is lava. It's like the floor is covered covered in holly leaves that are pokey and spiky. And it really is. So, no. So, it's not always, but sometimes they are. So, you're going down there and then you find this nice section of ooey gooey squishy mud. And it's really fun. And people will usually light right up when they get their feet in mud. I don't know exactly what that is, but most people, and they might say at first, like, there's this like, eh, I don't really want to. They have like their adult moment, right? Where they're like, no, and you know, again, I'm not making anyone do anything. But usually if it's a small group, one or two people start. And before you know it, the rest of them are going to be down there walking through that mud and they're going to start like just, and it just brings out the smile like when they were a kid. Hmm. Or what I imagine them to sound, you know. When they were but, kids. And that sensory experience. And I, you know, I just thought of that as we were talking because it's like when, like, going back to therapy, what I learned is, you know, they'll have sensory bins for kids, right? And even if yes. it's not a therapy situation, right? You'll have your, your sensory. Yeah, here are leg. the books, here are the toys, here's yeah. the balls, here's the. Well, because it's important. That's why. And it's not just important when you're little and you're growing. And it's not just important if you are developmentally, you know, delayed or, you know, have a a difference or something, you know, it's also important for everyone. And so being in nature and being outside and seeing the world as a big playground, essentially, or a place that you can train, obviously, in a place that you're allowed to be and everything, not like, you know, but I'm just saying, like, in the parts of the public spaces or whatever, you can train in so many things and you can get these sensory experiences. You can balance on those little logs that are down or, you know, fallen logs, or you can balance on the, you know, in the parking lot and like the, the curb bumper, the curb things, bumper yeah. things. And can you jump from one to the other and then sidewalk? And, you know, there's always, so it's starting to open your eyes to seeing the opportunity. So I like to say it's like invitations and opportunities. Mm. So it's not coercion. It's not like um, you should train this. You should do it this long. You should do this many sets and reps. It's like there's a time and place for that. But, you know, move beyond that too. Like go out, start to see things. How would, you know, your kid play on that? How would your cousin play on that? How would your dog move on that? Try it. Things you know, you get ideas. So I just thought of that with mud because that's the time I see people's face light up and it stays with them. We come back, we walk through the creek again so their feet get clean, we hose off, and the smile stays. So that's kind of like, okay, this is natural movement. Like, th- this feels good. Right. Yeah. So what do you think? When was the last time you were in some mud? <laughs> uh, I was actually trying to think about that. I'm like, ooh, I... It's certainly not within the last several years. It's probably, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, oh, I have a feeling I know what's going to happen when we're done recording. <laughs> I'm like, fortunately, I have shoes and socks, which I can take off. What I was thinking while you were talking is I was thinking about the tactile feeling of stones underwater is another thing where, you're, where your vision is disconnected from... Not, not like completely disconnected, but like you can't quite see what's going on down there. And I was wondering if part of it is the in the mud, you're not quite sure, you can't quite see, so you're forced to just sort of be more in the in the sense perception of your feet. Not to dodge your question about mud, I don't think I know when the last time I was walking in mud barefoot. I yeah. probably could think of when I last walked through mud 
But uh, walking through a river when, you know, or, you know, a creek or something, and sometimes you can't exactly see your footing or the surface is very uneven. Right. We get a lot of that too. Yeah. And, you know, that can really slow you down and, you know, that can be a good thing. Yeah. Right. Or you can wear shoes. I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of ways you can work around this and, you know, make sure it's right for you, depending, right, on the, the location and, you yeah. know, what you want to do in that time. How about it be if I stepped on a piece of glass? Well, how likely is it that there's glass here? Or how likely is it that yeah. that would happen? Yeah. And, you know, our river is, you know, I've not really ever, you know, we found cans and stuff and sometimes tires that will actually have fun, like trying to get out of the river and make a whole, like, adventure of going down and trying Ooh, to retrieve the tires sand, they can be really stuck and then try to get them emptied out and up the hill the slope and then wheel them back so we can you know use them for something yeah or recycle and whatever they do when they take them but that's you know again like that idea of finding things that are around you in your environment and even if you're not in a natural sort of setting like this you know you might be in a more urban setting but there's still there's always opportunities, yes. you know, and urban environments often have a lot of really cool classes and, you know, Yeah, because it, it forces the people who organize them to like have laser focus on, uh, I've been with certain people and like you stumble on a pocket park and somebody will like drop their backpack and be like, all right, we need to find 75 unique precision jumps you know, with those like four foot by eight foot. And you're like, all right, well, I could jump from every one of those bricks to the combinations of, you know, and like, and all of a sudden your brain just is like, well, I happen to have a general problem solving machine strapped to my head. So I'm just going to go into it. And that, um, I was, I, I can never remember, like, did I talk to you about this? Did I talk to somebody else about it? Did it get recorded? I was just having a conversation with someone talking about one of the reasons that I like the Movers Mindset Project that I do these conversations is sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone and it isn't like fireworks. Like it isn't like we're talking about spectacular jumps and we're talking about world records. It's just like a very casual thing. And I think one of my points is I'm personally curious and I love going into, oh, what this is going into with curiosity and people who listen to a podcast who at first glance they may think isn't going to be super interesting. They're like, well, I don't know, I'll give Craig the benefit of the doubt or I'll give this guest the benefit of the doubt or whatever guess what I've just tricked you and the listener into doing? I've just tricked you into practicing being curious. I've, I'm presenting you with something which you think might be boring or not as exciting as it might be. And then they're practicing that curiosity. So this, the whole thought when you're talking about walking in mud or walking, you know, in obscured footing in a stream, it's, it's kind of like, well, I could just, you know, get out of here. Like, I could just be like, no, I'm going back for my shoes. But for some reason, you know, it's like you step in and you're like, well, I didn't explode. So I guess I'll continue being curious about what's going on here. And that, that innately slows you down. Like you innately go, well, if I'm going to be curious, then I might as well, like one step is as good as four. So I think that all like feeds into itself, that idea of following your curiosity and being outdoors. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I contemplate, I could, sometimes I want to bring, they make trays that you put your boots in by the door if they're money. I want to get one of those trays and fill it with rocks, you know, like small and golf ball size, fist size rocks and like put it under my desk and then just be like, I have to work, you know, okay, but I'm going to sit here and like have my feet on rocks or something. Um, haven't done that yet. I've also, I've actually, my wife and I have actually discussed doing this, putting pavers like outdoor pavers in a hallway and just like, you just get like a horse mat or something and then just line the pavers up and like, you can kind of like try it. Cause that way you're not wrecking the hardwood floors. Um, and I thought that would be cool to walk on those different textures to have 
obstacles not that i want to trip in the dark <laughs> or some but, type of like balance beam type you know board or something yes i've i've i have actually done that a couple like i've did it and tried it two times and decided I was going to kill myself, but took a two by four that was in pretty good geometric shape and put it on the, on the thin edge at the sink and tried to do the dishes standing on it. Cause mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to stand on a two by four like the, <laughs> no, it's not. It's just like, as soon as I reach for something and it's like, bang, the two by four oh, yeah. is flat. It's like, whoa. But yeah, those little opportunities are chances for movement. Yeah. And, you know, just letting them be outside and just go outside and find them, you know, and, you know, the overhead, I think one of the things that a a lot of people like there's a whole area, this is another conversation I was just having with someone and it wasn't you. I was talking about this whole, there's like a space up here. I'm I'm waving my hands, right? Can't you see people where I can't? So like if I stood with my back against the wall, palms away from the wall like i can go all the way to the bottom and then like halfway up works and then it's like another 20 oh that's it now i gotta start leaning back and that whole space up there um i've become more and more interested in exploring but the more that i try to rock climb it's like well there's a nice hold there but i have to move over or i have to lean or something um and i'm wondering if there are things you've seen that have been successful to get people to begin to explore brachiation more because mm-hmm. it's not it's really like completely deleted from the, um, I'm recording the normal world. The normal world has lots of brachiation, but the one that we mostly live in has none of them. So are there, are there things that you show them that just make them go, oh, hello, like, and then that lights that up? Yeah, it's a good one because, you know, when you come into my studio, you'll see I have monkey bars <laughs> up on the ceiling. And I so, refrained because I didn't want to kill myself. I had a backpack. I'm like, no, 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 stay, pay, stay focused. <laughs> so almost always it's the start of a session, like, mm-hmm. And when I work with someone who's new, they'll come in and that's almost always will be talked about because they'll see it and they'll either say like, oh man, you have monkey bars. Can I try them? Right? (laughs) No. Or they will say, oh, (laughs) and and I'll reassure them that that's not what we're going to do today. Mm. You know, if that, if it's clear that that's like, yeah, I'm not going to throw you in. I have had people who come and train with me and they will say like, I haven't done that since I was a kid. And it starts that conversation of like, how did you move when you were a kid? What did you like when you were moving for joy Mm. and for play? And, you know, and so I'll start to get insight on whether they were like having fun on the playground and felt like they could really move. And, oh yeah, I was, you know, a story will come up, right? Like I was the fastest one or I was the only one in my class. You that do could, every other, yeah. Yeah, like, or it will be like, even when I was a kid, I couldn't do that and I wanted to. Hmm. And so now I have aha, some insight onto how they might, approach their movement or how they might have some feelings associated with that or, you know, it's just a start, right? So, and I've worked with people to the point that even older retired people who will now be saying like, I can do the monkey bars. Mm. And that's so exciting and just lights them up. And so, yeah, we, you don't start necessarily on day one before I even know if they can do what you were saying with the arms overhead, you know, like, so through the natural movement modalities that I do, I can start to really see what works for them, you know, like getting down on all fours. Can they, can they rock back and forth? Is it comfortable to get down? Can they easily get back up? Do they, can they crawl? Do they, can they do bird dog? And then one of the crawl techniques that I do for overhead 
type work on somebody who it's safe to, to bring their arms overhead. It's just not something that they've been doing often is that type of crawl. I call it like the bear crawl where your body makes that big capital A. How high can you keep your butt? How high can you keep your butt? Right. Because it puts a lot and your head's neutral. Right. So you're kind of looking maybe like towards your knees, but you know, and you keep your arms and legs as straight as you can and you crawl a few steps forward and back. And so now they're starting to get that overhead weight on their hands. And, you know, we kind of check in with that, see how that's feeling, build with that for a while. And then we'll start with hanging, you know, where, you know, you put a box or something so they can start to get the grip and not lift their feet up just yet, unless, you know, they're ready for that. And they'll just hang like active and passive hang, you know, Mm -hmm. and build hang time and sort of, you know, to how far we go with it kind of depends, right? Like, could be quickly moving on to side swing traverse, you know, yeah. where you're swinging and swaying. And it's all about, that's a fun one because people realize it's not that they, that they have enough strength because a lot of times people will think I'm not strong enough to, to move, do it. Right. But when you use momentum to your advantage, and so you're not just trying to muscle through it and you get the sequence and the timing and the flow, then you think, ah, oh, cool. But of course, then you need to know, like, if you're half them up on the monkey bars, can they jump down? Which now is a landing. Yes. Right? So it all kind of, see how it all, next thing you know, we're, we're working on jumping and landing so we can land softly and make sure that their body is comfortable with that. Right? So that's how we would progress that and just work up to that. And then I would do, you know, brachiating with one. And so you'll see like people monkey bar first, typically. It's like when a kid goes down the steps for the first time, they do like one lead leg, then the second leg catches up. There's always a trail and a leader. Right. So they'll, a lot of times, that's how people will start brachiating or, you know, monkey barring. (laughs) And they'll do one and I'll see which is their dominant lead. Just interesting. Right. And then maybe we see, can they lead the other just to start like working it. And then maybe can they go ahead and reach a little further and start to really extend. So it's really, I mean, that's in summary. Of course, there might be other things we do along the way. And it's all, you know, can you breathe while you're hanging? Or are you holding your breath? What do you do? Can you can you hold tension and tightness like a hollow position and still breathe? Mm -hmm. Right? So once you can do that, and like really still breathe diaphragmatically and still get that movement, but still be holding tension you're good to go. <laughs> Anything else spring to mind? There's lots of... Uh, no. Do you Have you done any monkey, monkey barring lately? I haven't done any... Well, well it's, okay, it's... It's funny you should mention that. I was going to bring it before, so I have a small little transit van. You, Mary Beth, has seen it, but the average person wouldn't have seen it. And I feel so much better after I spend days traveling and working and camping in the van because it's all... It's not like regular QM, but it's all like this... Hands go here, sidestep, watch your head. The, all the door frames have grab handles, so I'm constantly like left hand on the floor, right hand on a frame when I step out in the dark or there's something on my leg. And, and the, the richness, like it's small. I, I, don't, I can't stand up inside. But the richness of the environment is ridiculously complex. Like there, there are spaces on the sides when I open the doors and it's like a, you do like a seated squat, but you have a thing to hold on to. So it's like just super easy to like squat down and then work on the thing and then stand back up. So I, I haven't, you can't brachiate in the van. I'm not even knees. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> a little space. But I was trying to think when the last time I've been doing more intentional, intended for climbing, like fingerboard work and hanging on there. 
I'm not able to. <laughs> podcast is brought to you by dogs. There's, um, I'm not able to fully hang on my left hand. I can I can do a very brief dead hang on the right, and then not quite enough grip strength on the left. But when I was thinking of that, I'm like, but I've also lost a few pounds in the last week, and I'm like, I probably could maybe try an actual full swing through. But that's not something I've ever been very good at. Two hands swinging, I'm I'm pretty confident I can like swing on angles and and move around but it's i'm definitely very heavy for my grip or i'm just gonna not not the problem is not i'm weak the problem is that i'm heavy not that i'm weak mm-hmm. but i haven't done it in ooh, maybe a couple of weeks since the last time i was hanging on a bar yeah that's actually a lot you know a lot of people who will start with me will say like i haven't done any hanging for years yeah yeah i mean unless they're like training or actively already in the movement world, i only do it but... because I, I like i bought scaff and like there's scaff bolted to the ceiling of our patio and i have pull-up bars like only because i went you, you were talking before about your environment i went i want to do more of this stuff so okay i need to put a fingerboard above a doorway somewhere and so that did that and now it's like anytime i think of it i could just walk over there and stick my mm-hmm. fingers in it and pick my feet up so but it's only because the only reason the answer isn't like i don't know is because i <laughs> went to the trouble of modifying the environment that's the only way you're going to do it Sometimes I say, "How? What would the world be like if all of our doorways were only three feet high? Like by design, the top of the doorway is three feet. That's the way we built them. We're not sure why. The rooms are normal, but the doors are short. We don't know. We'd all be a completely different kind of like we'd all be able to do the down and up and the the three legged. Some great duck unders there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you know the next thing is thinking about like hanging on different surfaces. So whatever your usual surface is. Mm-hmm. Can't, what if you were out on a trail and you found a tree? You know, the tree could be really wide branch. It's a yeah. totally different tech. Well, pretty different technique for hanging, right? Yeah, and it's grip all open challenge, floppy right? Palm. Versus a very shallow branch, and you know, if things aren't smooth like yep. they are in the gym, and there's yeah, like all you know, and more connection to paying attention like to the state of the tree the nature you know is it is it covered in ants right there i might have just walked right by normally and not noticed but like before i grab it it might like you know is the limb alive is it gonna come off right but you know a lot of times people think of like pull-ups which you know are awesome but there's so much more climbing techniques that are out there because you know, if you actually say we're out on a walk and you said, I, I just want to see if I could get in one of these trees. Can I find a tree, any yes. tree? Can I get in it? Can I, you know, can I find a way to get myself hmm. by any means up this tree? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just chuckling at the dog that keeps popping up in the door and touching his nose to the doorknob like, hey, you with a thumb, turn this. <laughs> the when you when you talk about climbing a tree, I think it was episode. I know it was episode six. Was Paul Graves? But I think it was Paul who mentioned. And I, I don't remember the the full story, but I think he had like he spent a summer just trying to see how many different trees he could climb, and it, that's like a, a it's a tough challenge, but it's a brilliant way to go at it because the first thing you realize is it's not easy to climb a tree. Like a lot of trees are like wow, you need to be able to like do the walk up a pole kind of thing to get up them. But he was making similar observations about you, you really get to know, like, I can climb that tree. And I did actually just try to climb a tree like three days ago, failed miserably at it, and was really like disappointed in my inability to climb up. It was a rather small tree. So I had to grab it like just in a certain way. And when I grabbed it and put my foot on it, all the bark, you know, mm-hmm. came off and my footing slipped. And I was like, hmm, I think I need to find another way to get there. Was, somebody had stuck something in the tree. So, but yeah, climbing trees is, but again, that's, 
that may be something that a lot of people don't have access to in urban centers, but you can still look for climbing door jams or climbing light poles. Caution, those aren't meant to be climbed on. (laughs) There are lots of vertical, a lot of times the center, the the main uh, posts on fences, you know, can be climbed or hung from. And there's parks, you know, a lot of big community parks and stuff. And sometimes, I mean, obviously whatever your area allows, but sometimes you can find something to climb. And, you know, it's just that idea of like, wherever you go, you kind of you start to get your eyes on like, yes. is there a tree I, that's calling to me? Is there a tree I think I could get <laughs> in? And, you know, I think the thing is you don't have to go high. Like, cause you know, a lot of times people think climbing tree, you think yeah. how high get, get to the top yeah, and no, that's not just necessarily. transfer my weight from flat footed to Just get my arboreal. feet off. Right. And even if it's like a foot pinch technique where you're kind of just holding the trunk Mm-hmm. or one of the other techniques just to get your feet off the ground or are you actually getting up in the limbs of the tree somehow, but always working within like the safety of the tree and safety of yourself. But there's so many, there's so many opportunities when you start seeing them. Yes. Right. The other things you could do for hanging and stuff is like, you know, the, you know, the surface of like a, a wall, you know, where it has the top and you can kind of hold it, even if you don't go, yeah. yeah, even if you don't go all the way up and over, but just doing that cat hang and kettlebell carries. So we'll, we'll integrate a lot of carries and that helps have that crossover effect of, oh, that made my hang, my grip stronger, which prepped me, you know, cause you know, you're not always in there hang, but you can usually mix it up between carries, hangs, trees. (laughs) Lots of opportunities. Yeah. Well, anything else off of your notes? You did like, we only got to one, I think, or maybe two. Anything else that you like? Oh, I have to. I wrote down like mulligan. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to explain that because normally that word wouldn't go out on the air. But <laughs> moving on, what else? Oh, you know, I, I put body positive. I think that's maybe talked about a lot in some circles and I, I, I'm really true to that. And I think the idea is movement with wherever you are, like everybody's body is unique and different. And like, sometimes people will think like, well, I should lose a little weight so I can then go to the gym or I will like just to get, because you know, there's like, sometimes it doesn't that, you know, maybe not feeling great about how they're moving or, you know, their body in some way. And I think that it's just this message of like, even if you don't have to just train because you're trying to change the shape or the expression of your body, it's also because it builds you up. It feels good. I mean, all this, like the benefits to the heart, the benefits to the bone density, the benefits Mm -hmm. to just feeling good, breathing better, your health, your immune system. And I think there's enough, like, I think some, you're starting to hear more about that. I don't think it's like, as rare as it used to be to really hear about that. But I still feel like I hear a lot of people come back around, like, you know, the before and after picture, you know, (laughs) and I just, I want to say, you know, you know, it's all different bodies, all different shapes, move in all different ways. We squat differently from each other. We crawl differently from each other. And maybe it will sort of progress as you train more, or maybe it's really just your anatomy, you know, in terms of how we move in certain ways, right? But, you know, anybody, anytime, any shape, you know, like any way, I just, that was on my notes of like talking about really creating a space 
and and that also goes with like overall ability like I have a class and we will have very it's not like by beginner intermediate advanced and it works fine and it's also mixed age so it's co-ed it's you know I don't have like little little kids I'm not talking that but you know like maybe 14 and up or something to retirees and you can train side by side and you're both doing the progression or the 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 level that is right for you Mm. You know, and I think you get an incredible benefit from interacting and training next to someone. Yes, not just the physical aspect of it, but yes, interact with that other person. Right. And you understand, like, you have something to learn from someone who's moving really well because you might want to learn, like, how did you get there? But you can also learn a whole lot from someone who is struggling with some type of movement. You know, maybe they're they're not really comfortable getting down on the floor anymore. Who knows why, right? It could be a million reasons. But, you know, you can also learn about yourself from them. You know, it goes both ways. And, you know, co-ed, because, you know, sometimes... We get like, you know, in schools and in, you know, communities, I just see, you know, sometimes it's you tend to you what well, you want to build community of people you relate to. So I totally understand this. And, you know, but you might sort of only women only train with other women or like mothers with other mothers or right. Or like yeah, guys, the, the, the big jumpers with the other big jumpers right. and nobody else. Right. Right. But like realizing <laughs> like. <laughs> this dog just jumped up in the window as I this said. This jump, she can do some serious. She just jumped jumping. straight up in the air. I saw the entire dog in the window. Yeah, she wants me. To, she wants to join us. Yeah. That's what I mean. We're talking about trails and yeah. jumping, and she oh. knows it. So that whole dynamic of just being inclusive and being cool with that, and really not thinking that like if you're the fancy jumper or you're the one that can press like really heavy or whatever that like. You need your own class from, say, the person who's learning how to press or learn whatever, learning how to jump. Because if you program it well, you can both be doing it and both working on jumping at the same time. But one's maybe feet aren't even leaving the ground yet and the other's doing that depth jumps or something. So... I'm Those glad were, I asked. See, every, yeah. every time there's an act to like, how many times do you go back to the well, you know, eventually? Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a pleasure. I'm glad we took the opportunity. So I think I will just say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Let's see. Three words. I would say, hmm, so many words pop into my mind. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I would say hope. I build a practice off, I believe that, I believe in the power of healing and I believe in the strength of the nervous system. And I think we're designed to heal. So I think if we just give something, you know, take some action, it will start things in the right direction. So I I like to say that, you know, I believe in hope and as a concept and I see it in action in my practice. The other I would say is, the word practice. What I'm referring to is the art of practice or the consistency of coming back around and engaging in that practice and seeing your movement as a practice rather than a performance. So I would say practice for, I don't know, I guess this 
seeing yourself always as a student and always learning and not trying to get to perfection and just make it easier each time and keep moving forward. And then the third thing I would say is restorative. Having movement practice, say I was going to say maybe sustainable, but let's go with restorative movement that builds you up and restores you, whether that's your spirit, whether that's your body, muscles, bones, but it's restoring you and enabling you to engage in the world and with the people the way you want to. So that you feel like, oh, yeah, I can get down on the floor with my kids. Or, oh, yeah, I can jump that. Or I can hang, you know, with that class or those that group of people. And, like, that's what you're striving for is that restoration. Thank you very much. I think those are, as I always say, those are three terrific words. Never ceases to amaze me how the words that people talk about at the end fit what we were talking about on the show. So thank you very much for taking the time, Mary Beth. Thank you, Craig. This was great.